Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Gotta love technology. I got the luxury of being home this morning. Kirk, my husband and business partner, is in studio. Uh, We are live this morning in Marshfield, 781-837-4900. If anyone has any questions for us on anything really of a financial nature, uh, we will be honest. If we we don't know the answer or we're not experts, we'll be honest, as was the case with our previous caller. Uh, But we, I think we're able to direct her at least to the right place. Uh, But we're talking this morning specifically about education savings, a popular topic. Uh, I think this time of year, I tend to think of this as a um, uh, topic for this time of year, just given kiddos getting getting back to school, Um, but also just because we had a great show last week talking about uh, financial aid and saving for college and the cost of, uh, sorry, we talked about financial aid really on the cost of college, which was great. So lots of stuff we didn't get to last week and I wanted to finish that up. So talking this morning about uh, how to save for college, where to save, what's the best way for me to save, what's the best type of account. Um, so uh, we talked we talked in length about 529 college savings accounts being I, by far the most popular, and I think for very good reason, very tax efficient way, very flexible type of account, um, tax efficient way to save for education, I should say, and a very flexible account, and recent changes in the law have made it even more flexible with regard to being able to use it for primary and secondary school and also a little bit for, uh, for student loans. So um, those are great. I just wanted to touch on a couple of, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, Kirk, because I do want to get to some calculations, which is always really fun on some projections type stuff. But um, I just want people to know that there are a couple other ways to save college and um, uh, maybe a little bit more non-traditional. So what one, we talked about 529s, but one other type of uh, kid account is called a UTMA and in some states a UGMA. So it stands for the Uniform Transfers to Minors Act or the Uniform Gift to Minors Act. Um, And we call them UTMAs or UTMAs. And that is, um, it's not an education specific type of account, but that's the structure of that account is that the, the dollars are actually in the child's social security number versus a 520 which is in the parent's social security number. But don't be nervous. Uh, even though the dollars are in the child's social security number, when the child is under the age of majority, so under the age of 18 or 21 in some states, the parent or, or whoever, the adult, uh, would be named as the financial custodian 
custodian, meaning that uh, the parent is making the investment decisions, withdrawal decisions, uh, et cetera. So they're still, they're still a parent in control of the money. Um, but a UTMA is, is it's when dollars go into this type of account and you're putting dollars into this child's name, you're making, uh, and social security number, excuse me, you're making an irrevocable gift to the child. And you're basically saying, I'm, I'm putting money in here for this child and the money needs to be used in some fashion for the benefit of the child. Um, and the, these are, these are not as tax efficient, but they're great in some ways because they are not education specific. So you can put money in a UTMA and it can be used for anything for the benefit of the child. So it can be, you know, I often use the example of like a car or braces or a school trip for the child or um, re really anything that could benefit the child, education included. But these are great because, um, you know, there's some people that are like, well, my, my kid might not go to college, probably won't go to college or might not go to college or I just want to be able to save for other things for the child. And this is great in that regard. Um, couple things on a couple, I think little downsides to that though, is that, um, first of all, the UTMA is not as tax efficient, but I don't want that to scare people because, because actually the taxes on them are fairly reasonable for a reasonably sized account. So, um, a 529 is such that as those dollars are invested and they, and uh, not guaranteed, but as they grow with investment earnings and the dollars are withdrawn for college, everything comes out tax free. With a UTMA, the, the uh, dividends and the earnings in the portfolio, they're taxed ongoing, but they're taxed uh, there, there are some exemptions and they're taxed at the student's rate until the earnings get to be over uh, $2,200 a year under current law. And just to put that into perspective, like Kirk, you and I, you know, know a little bit more about what, what size account needs, what, how big does the account need to be to generate $2,200 of income, right? right? So for example, um, let's say you have $10,000 in, the, in a UTMA for a student, uh, for a child. It, it, it doesn't need to be a student as they're not education specific. A, a $10,000 account, let's say it earns 6% um, in a given year. <clears throat> it's invested moderate maybe and it earns 6%. S some component of that 6% is going to be dividends and interest or what the IRS calls unearned income, meaning dividends and interest. And some of that 6% is going to be share price appreciation or, or growth. So let's call it three and three. Let's call it you earn 6%, 3% of that was dividends and interest and 3% of that was share price appreciation. We don't need to get too technical, but I swear I'm going to make a good point here. In that example where you have $10,000, um, 6% of that is 600 bucks, right? But only 3% or $300 of that is your, is the students, is the child's unearned income. The first $1,100 of unearned income in a, in a, in a, in an account like this is tax free. And the second $1,100 of unearned income in an account like this is taxed at the kids tax rate. And, and most kids don't have a tax bracket because they don't have income unless they have a little part-time job. But even then it would, they would be a low bracket. It's only the dollars, the unearned income dollars over 2,200 that are taxed at the parent's tax rate. So I, these are, I say they're not as tax efficient as a 529 because money doesn't come out tax free, but you can have 10, 20, $30,000 in an account like this and not so much worry about taxes. I really don't think people have to worry much about higher taxes on earnings in an account like this until the account gets to be north of like 30000 30 or $40,000, where in, in which case the unearned income and then when you're selling and taking money out, some of the capital gains um, would be taxed at the parent's rate. So I just want, I like... I have to I have to tell clients that they're not as tax efficient as a 529, but if you have relatively small dollars in here, like some of 
my clients use an account like this for um, like birthday and Christmas money, uh, 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 christening type, you know, money. Sometimes if they're getting money from family and these holidays and special occasions, um, some parents might want to tuck money like this into this type of account because it's more flexible and it's not education specific. Yeah. Does that make sense? Do you utilize those much with your clients? Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, we have the conversation about you know, these are, these are even more flexible than a, than a 529, you know, savings account because you can use it for anything, uh, you know, for, for the child doesn't have to be college. Uh, so that's, you know, so that's a nice thing. Um, the, you know, an, another, another thing that makes it more flexible is that you can basically invest in anything. Uh, you know, these are much more, much more wide open. You can buy an individual stock. Um, you know, you can, you know, what you can't, cannot do in a 529, you know, 529s are just, you know, mutual funds, uh, you know, of, of whatever, you know, firm that you're in, uh, Fidelity or American funds, whatever it may be. So you can, you know, maybe you have a, maybe a parent or a grandparent, uh, owns an individual stock. They can actually gift it, you know, to, to the child and, and put it, you know, put the shares right into the, into the UTMA. So that's, a, that's an, you know, another, you know, flexible, you know, flexible, uh, option about it. Um, you know, from, um, I guess on the downside, you know, when, when, you know, if this money is still there, when the, when the child gets to college, um, you know, this is going to be a child asset, which is going to, again, that's going to be, that's going to count more against you, uh, as far as the, uh, you know, expected family contribution. So this is because it's in the child's name, it's a child asset, which is more heavily weighted, uh, when, when the, when the college or university is looking at, looking at your, you know, financial profile. Um, so that's, so that's, you know, I guess, quote unquote, a downside uh, versus versus the 529. Um, and I guess from that point of view, if you do have it, uh, you know, you probably want to use it up, you know, use it up early and early on to get to, to get it down, you know, so that the child assets are, you know, less, um, you know, that's potentially the strategy there. The other, the other downside is that, you know, once they reach the age of majority, which in Massachusetts is 21, uh, those funds, you know, legally need to be handed over to the child uh, because now they yeah. are they are now an adult, uh, you know, from a legal point of view. Um, and those dollars need to be, you know, basically put into their name. And they can, at that point, they can, you know, they've got full control and they can do whatever they want with it. And, you know, we've seen, you know, lots of life, <laughs> real life examples where, um, you know, parents or grandparents have opened these accounts and then, you know, it's getting close to the time when the child is going to turn 21 and they're like, oh, and they, you know, either they forgot about that or they didn't realize that. And, um, uh, oftentimes they don't, they don't want to give, you know, give the child control because, you know, they, they're afraid of what they may or may not, you know, what they're going to do with that money. Um, you know, cause they, if it was intended for college, they want them, they wanted to, you know, wanted to use it for that. And if they don't go to college or whatever, um, they, they have a hard time, you know, relinquishing those funds. Um, but, you know, legally speaking, you are, you know, required to, to do that. Uh, and basically, you know, the, what you do is you take the money out of the UTMA and put it into like an individual, uh, you know, a brokerage account uh, in, in the child's name and, and they've got full control. And what we've seen is that, you know, if, if, if they're approaching that point and maybe the child didn't go to college or didn't need the money for college or whatever the case may be, um, you know, they have a, they, you know, they kind of have a sit down, uh, you know, meeting with the child and say, you know, Hey, we, you know, we put this money away for college. Um, and since you're not going to use it for that, um, you know, they might try to kind of persuade them to, you know, save it, uh, you know, you know, don't, don't spend it on a, you know, a car or whatever, or, you know, why not, you know, save it for a, you know, a down payment on a house or something like that. Um, but, you know, like I said, you know, legally speaking, you know, 21, that becomes their money. Uh, so to me, that's a, that's certainly something that needs to be considered. Um, if you're, if you're looking at this, uh, as a potential, uh, savings vehicle. Um, all right. So we talked about, so we talked about the 529s. We talked about the UTMAs. Um, yeah. were you going to talk about Coverdells or what was your next, what was your next? Uh, I was going to, I was going to just quickly touch on like the, you know, just non-qualified dollars in the parent's okay. name and then actually IRAs and Roths, which I don't think are great 
um, college savings vehicles because they are earmarked for retirement. But technically, you can use um, dollars in an IRA or retirement account, and you can take withdrawals for qualified tuition expenses. And you can avoid the 10% premature distribution penalty if you're under the age of 59 and a half. But there are income taxes associated um, with drawing out of a retirement account. And also, I just don't love that as a strategy because of those dollars should be earmarked for retirement. Um, and I guess unless you're on a super good track for retirement and have more than you need in IRAs uh, for your own retirement goals, um, I just don't love that just because I like, you know, I kind of like to keep those goals separate and I don't love it when, um, you know, I don't think it's a great idea for people to sacrifice their own retirement and, and take money out of that goal for education. But I understand that, you know, stuff happens and, you know, there are some parents that say, you know, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to help them. I'm going to pay for this. And then I'll just work longer. And that's totally their choice. I just, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, plan on that. It, it, you know, I, if you're going to be planning to save for college, you likely want to utilize a different tool like the 529. But, um, but yes, you can, if you're under 59 and a half and you need to grab dollars to be used for qualified tuition expenses for your son or daughter, you can, uh, take money out of IRAs. Um, and avoid the 10% tax penalty, but you will pay income taxes, federal and state on all dollars. Um, and the other one I just wanted to throw out there is just what we call a non-qualified or like a brokerage, uh, just a traditional investment account in the parent's name. Um, and I think though, and those aren't, you know, they're not as the growth the earnings isn't tax-free. Um, the parents will pay taxes along the way on dividends and interest, and they'll pay when they withdraw dollars. And if there's share price appreciation, there'll be capital gains taxes on any investment earnings. But I, but it's just great because it's it's a very very flexible account, and you're not pigeonholed into using it for education. So yes. I think that can be like a complement to any other education savings. Yeah. So I think, plan I that think people have. Yeah. yeah. To you know to kind of summarize that one, you know, to yeah. So a, a brokerage account uh, is the least tax efficient of, of the group, but it's the most flexible. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, so that's, you know, so some, you know, sometimes when we, when we kind of walk through the different options with people, sometimes people elect that just because, you know, they like, they like the flexibility and, um, you know, yeah, it's, you know, you're giving up, you're giving up some tax savings, but, uh, but it is, it is the most flexible and, um, it kind of, I guess it, you know, sometimes it just kind of depends on your, your comfort level, um, because, yeah. of, because of all the unknown. So what I wanted to do also, I know we have, we have like what, 10, nine or 10 minutes before our break. And then we have um, one other segment uh, afterwards. So I did want to start getting into, I love playing around with calculators. I feel like you do as well. Uh, I did want to start playing around with some calculations. So I think it's really important for people to have an idea of um, how much they should be saving to hit a certain goal. Um, and everyone has different goals. And, and what I was, what we talked about last week, when we talked to the, the, when we had the financial aid discussion and the cost of college discussion is that it is really hard to know. Well, first of all, when your kids are young, you have no idea where they're going to want to go to school. There's so many choices, but also even if you're looking around at, you know, sticker prices now, which are look, you know, for many private schools, 65 to $75,000. It's hard to know what your cost will be because as we found out last week, and as I've, you know, as I've certainly heard over the years is that actually merit-based award is fairly common. So you're not necessarily paying that sticker price. Um, so it's hard to plan for. Um, but I just wanted to, um, well, we, we have a software that we utilize to help people um, develop a savings plan in terms of an amount per month to hit a certain goal when it comes to education. Um, so I just wanted to throw out some numbers. So Kirk, so I'm in, I'm in NavaPlan and I have a model here for like a mid thirties couple with a couple of kids. Um, I think I made the kids like five and two. And this is just meant to be, you know, this this young couple with a couple of young kids and they're just starting to think about, oh, we should really be doing something and saving for college. Um, it's too late. So some, it's too late. No, don't ever say that. <laughs> um, 
So I just wanted to give people some ballpark numbers. And we've I've done this before. It's been a while since I did this. And uh, sometimes when we go through this, the numbers are pretty scary. Like if people are intending, like, for example, if you have, you know, three or four kids and you're hoping to pay for uh, or, or you're thinking you're going to try to pay for like four private school tuitions, that is some big dollars that need to be saved to hit those goals. And so I want to go through this and I'm going to start small. I don't want to scare anyone, but I just want to give people an idea of um, what the certain monthly contributions might pay for. Um, so we have our planning software that we um, used to go through this. And I talked about this last week. I, I want to make the point that um, when it comes to, there are some assumptions that we make when we're doing college projections. Number one is like, so basically we're going to say, you know, the discussion we have with Mr. and Mrs. Client is, um, you know, what do you want to plan on paying for? Like, let's start, for example, with uh, this client who says, you know, we went to UMass and we're intending for them to go to a state school and cost is roughly 30 grand a year. Let's just use that nice round number. And we'd like to pay for them, for our two kids to, uh, we'd like to pay for a full public school tuition. Um, so then some assumptions that we make would be, okay, what do we think, let's assume the dollars are going to be invested and what do we assume those dollars can earn? And then what do we want to assume for the rising cost of college. So any research I've looked at, and I and you mentioned earlier in the show, Kirk, that um, the, cost, the cost of college has outpaced inflation throughout the recent past uh, on the order of a few percent per year. So if inflation averages, it's been really low in the last decade, but if inflation averages two or two and a half percent per year, it seems like college tuitions have been rising at about double that, right? So we usually use like a 5% uh, per year growth on inflation. Yeah, yeah, so I think, so the first part of the calculation, right, is figuring out what, it, so if you're, if you're gonna use $30,000 a year as a, as a current cost, the, the first calculation you need to do is figuring out what $30,000 is by the time your student reaches college, right? So, for, so for in this example, how many years out do you want to say? Do you want to say we're uh, like you've had a five-year-old, a five-year-old child, right? So they're yeah. So let's say we're thirteen years out. So thirteen years from now, uh, at what do we want to say? Five percent per year or four percent? Five percent. Let's say five percent. All right. So that so basically, so thirty thousand dollars today. 13 years from now at 5% per year becomes like $56,000. Uh, all right. That's a pretty, yeah. pretty substantial. Okay. Um, so that's really, that's, that's really your bogey. That's a pretty substantial number. But yeah. Right. But one, one, I mean, but don't forget, and, and I did want to have the investment discussion if we have time today, because I think it's really common for people to just, you know, tuck money in a savings account at the bank for their kids. One of the things, um, I, we talked about last week when you weren't with us, but was that, yeah, college has, has increased by four or 5% per year. But if you're saving in a 529, for example, and those dollars are invested, you, you know, you hopefully you have some investment earnings that is, that are at least helping you keep pace with that inflation. I think if you're, if you have a two-year-old or a four-year-old or even really a six-year-old, you, um, you know, you could have those dollars invested in a fairly aggressive portfolio, heavily stock portfolio, and you could expect to out-earn that, that growth in those years, at least on average, right? So a, a primarily stock portfolio, you know, you could hope to earn six, seven, eight, nine percent per year or something on average. Sure, there will be years when you're up 25 percent and then there'll be years when you're down 20 percent. But on average, like a, you know, a, a heavily stocked portfolio that that it could be appropriate for a young child, like 10 or more years away from needing the funds, you could expect to out earn. You could hope to out earn um, in, in the rising cost of education. However, if you have an older child, right, 13, 14, 15, they're getting close to needing the funds for school you you it's not appropriate anymore for those dollars to be invested in a, in a heavy stock portfolio so you're looking at something more
more conservative in those years. In those years, you might not out earn the cost of college, but blended over like, let's say you're, let's say for the life of the child blended over 18 years, I, I would usually, yeah, usually hope for like an average over that 18 year period of like 5% per year so that at least you're keeping up with the cost of education um, it, at least, you know, more so in the beginning and then, and then tapering off. So, all right, we have to take a break. I do want to continue on that. And I want to give people some actual numbers in terms of what, what might this pay for? Um, Cause I think that's really fun, but you're listening to McNamara on money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed, Kirk Reed, my husband and business partner joining me today. We're talking about education savings and we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, we are back. You are listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. Um, I am Kirk Reed, uh, joined by my wife and business partner, Alyssa McNamara-Reed. And today we're talking about uh, college savings options. Uh, We've talked a little bit about uh, 529, uh, both savings and prepaid plans. Uh, We talked about UTMAs. Uh, and also brokerage accounts, all, you know, all viable options. They all have, you know, pros and cons. Um, and I'm not sure where we were going next. So we, we were just talking about, um, I, forget, I don't know, I, I kind of lost track. We're talking we about, were. um, I just, I, I think it's fun to kind of go through. Oh, right. Um, right. We were talking about, yeah. Projections. Right. Projections. Yeah. And- so I love, so we have this, we have this great software that we use in our, our, uh, practice for, modeling and uh, planning purposes. And um, uh, we use it, uh, of course, for retirement planning, but it has a great education uh, modeling tool so we can put in. um, So I was talking about hypothetical Mr. and Mrs. uh, roughly age 35 client. They've got a couple kids, ages five and three. And I just wanted to go through and give people some actual numbers as far as you know, if they're saving X hundred a month for these two kids, the, the, the kids what does it pay for? Kids, kids, um, kids really do grow up fast because it was five and two the last time. So yeah, so so now they're five and three. When did I say five and three? Yeah, wow. I was like, <laughs> Somebody had a birthday. They today. do, they yeah. do grow up so quick, don't they? Yeah. So I'm making. So I'm I'm in the software and I'm making this assumption. I think I do have them as five and two. Um, so I have one of them going to school thirteen years from now, and the youngest going to school. Um, 16 years from now, so maybe they're five and three. Um, and I'm assuming that uh, this client says, we, you know, we, we want to be able to pay for a public school education, and if they go to private, maybe they can take loans. Um, so I put in um, $30,000 a year times four years for each student. I am assuming a 5% growth on the cost of the education, but as I was touching on before the break, I'm, I'm, you can think of it as like I'm offsetting that by also assuming earnings on the dollars that they're investing. I've earning be potentially at the high side in the earlier years and on the lower side. And there's I'm going to use a blended um, uh, over the lifetime of the investment five percent return on the five twenty nine dollars. So I'm assuming that they have nothing saved this far, and they're going to start monthly contributions. Um, and bear with me for a second. I keep getting these notices that my internet is unstable, but you guys can hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. I mean, it, it, it gets a little choppy here and there, but it, it seems to be working. Oh, okay. Connor doesn't seem to be okay. uh, too... Nobody, nobody's shaking their head like, what is happening? Yeah. Uh, if you hear a noise, my, my youngest daughter is having a rough morning. Come here, sweetie. Come sit with me. I think she just, um, she bonked her leg and she has a, she has a cut that the... Um, Sorry about this, guys. It's tough to... We're all struggling with balance these days, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's tough to... uh, I feel very fortunate that uh, through COVID, I've been employed and been able to work from home. The struggle is real, right? Regarding finding the balance. So so I'm assuming that, um, that this couple has the ability... Again, they want to. They want to fund thirty thousand dollars per year times two kids, public education, and let's be right now to save five hundred dollars a month. And they haven't saved anything yet. So I, we can run these projections that says, okay, five hundred a month. 
uh, over this, over what will end up being a 16 year period of time. And then we can run these reports that indicate, okay, well, like roughly what percent of that education goal will you be able to fund um, with that $500 a month contribution in this example? And then we can play around with different levels of contributions just to give people an idea of um, how, how far these dollars go. So for example, um, 13 years from now and 16 years from now, 30 grand a year times four years per kid, public education, $500 a month for this couple funds basically the first year of education for each of the students. So that's about a 20, 25% of the way toward your goal. So that 500 bucks a month, I'm sorry, I should clarify. It was $500 a month total, which was 250 for each student. And that goal, 250 a month for this, uh, what ends up being like a 16 year period of time, that funds about 25% or one of the four years of this public school education goal. So then I just wanted to, I can quickly go in and say, okay, well, what if this couple had the ability to, and, and I, sh- I should clarify that I'm not, um, my assumption is that if it's $500 a month total, it's that doesn't up- adjust upward with inflation. It's just always 500 a month. We can play around with that as well. But let's say this couple has the ability to do 500 a month students. So what if they could do $1,000 a month for this 16 year period of time and how far does that get them in terms of paying for this, um, for the what ends up being eight years total of a public school tuition uh, for their two kids? And actually, I just had the report open and then it closed out. So hold on, that's going to get them about, um, wait, wait for it, wait for it, the anticipation. Um, so that gets them a little bit more than 50% toward that goal, right? So they Instead of the 500 a month total, it was 500 a month each. So $1,000 a month for this five-year-old and three-year-old. Sorry, it was a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And that gets this married couple about half, a little bit more than halfway toward their goal of paying for two public school educations. Again, we're kind of assuming that like the earnings um, keep pace with the cost of education. So essentially what happens is you're, you, I, I don't, I don't, I guess piggybacking off of that, I don't necessarily think people can bank on earnings in an investment for education to, um, I, I don't think they can bank on that to significantly outpace the cost of education, at least over the life of the, of, of the child, because as you get closer to education and you have to be fairly conservative or you should be fairly conservative, in my opinion, with those dollars, um, as they get close to needing those funds, I don't know that you could expect to earn 5% um, in a pretty conservative portfolio and out earn and outpace inflation. Let me just play around with 1500 bucks a month. Yeah, and, why, and then and why I can stop there if you have any comments. While you were doing that, I, I was just going to say, you know, the, the reason that you came up with 30,000 is, you know, that's what that's what UMass Amherst, uh, basically, that's what they list as their, the full cost. So it's, yeah. you know, for, for an in-state, you know, so somebody that, you know, a Massachusetts resident, if you go to UMass Amherst, uh, tuition is roughly $16,000 uh, a year. Uh, and then room and board is about uh, 14,000. Um, so, to, you know, so, okay. but so, uh, you know, if you're, or if you're commuting, you know, it's only, it's rough, it's only half. Uh, but, it, you know, if, but if you're living there, it's, yeah, it's, it's the full price uh, these days is about $30,000 a year for, you know, all in tuition and room and board. Um, that's if you're paying the full thing, but you know, that, you know, we kind of figure like that's kind of a good proxy for, you know, the yeah. co- the cost of a, of a, of an in-state uh, tuition. So that's how we came up with the number. Yeah. And so, and thank you for that. And so what I did was I, now I, now I just played around with, okay, what if this couple could save $750 a month per, per kid? So that's $1,500 a month. And if they can do it for this five-year-old and this two-year-old, $1,500 a month, until these students get to school, then they are about 80% of the way toward paying for two public school educations in today's dollars, 30,000 per year. So I I guess, so a good target. So if you happen to be listening and have kids or grandkids roughly these age, you get two kids, 
one's uh, going into kindergarten maybe and one's uh, you know a toddler a two thousand dollar a month goal is like in the realm of what you would need to save to fund those two pro- I'm sorry public school educations 13 and 16 years out so if I put in two thousand dollars a month that that comes pretty close you know it depends on actual earnings and cost of you know inflation co- uh, excuse me tuition inflation etc but two thousand dollars a month or eighteen hundred dollars a month is like in the realm of where you would need to be in order to fund um i just put 18 18 000 a month that would that would certainly be sufficient that should do it um 1800 a month to 2000 a month is where is where you're going to want to be if that happens to describe you and of course you know with our clients we tailor this to their exact situation and their in their kids ages but i just think it's really helpful to give people an idea of you know what what they have to do to hit these goals i think some people have these you know great aspirations of of wanting to pay for this for their kids. And, and um, you know, if, you, if you're gonna do that, you gotta save hard and you gotta save early. You gotta save early and often, so, right? Yeah, Just like that, we always say. Yeah, that's that's exactly um, what I was gonna say. I mean, this is this is the saving for college is a, it's an accelerated version of saving for retirement, right? Because you only have, you know, 18 years, uh, you know, roughly to, to make this happen versus, you know, you know, retirement, you've got 40 years or, or whatever it is. And right. so it's, right. it's a lot more, there's a lot more pressure to, to start, to start early, uh, because, because your time frame is, is shortened. Um, and so, yeah, so the, the impact of, you know, compounding interest is, you know, if you want to take advantage of that, you have to start as early as possible you know, to start getting those dollars in and getting them growing and, 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 you know, growing, you know, interest upon interest. And, and also, you know, the, the younger they are, the more aggressive you can be with the investments. So, you know, the, the earlier you can start, uh, you know, and, and being a little more aggressive with the investments and, and getting that money to work for you is is all that more important, um, you, you know, even even compared to retirement just because of the, the shortened time frame. Yeah, and let's just, and so, and so to, um, to elaborate a little bit on that, um, I did play around with some savings calculators. I, I do mean, um, and, and by the way, I actually wanted to say, um, 520 investment companies that offer 529s, they do, um, I feel like they do a pretty good job of offering, uh, of making it pretty easy for people to invest in a suitable manner for their kids. It's very common, if not always the case, and that, that the 529 investment management company would have you, would put you into what they what we call an age-based portfolio this is how we manage our clients 529s but even if you you know just go online and 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 start investing your money in a in a 529 at whatever institution um you're likely going to be put into an age-based portfolio and they're they're kind of put on cruise control it's like the target date retirement funds where you're kind of on cruise control and this is a good thing for the general public that that doesn't um pay as much attention to their investments and doesn't and doesn't know how to invest uh, a, a prop uh, uh, suitably for their goals. But so these are really great in that, you know, you, you, you can, uh, you know, you just basically indicate data, you know, age or date of birth of your of your child that you're saving for, and you will be placed into um, a generally suitable portfolio from like a risk point of view. So for example, the way that we run our portfolios is that any, is that for students that are more than 10 years from needing the funds, they're in a pretty aggressive portfolio. We don't, we actually don't run an all stock portfolio for education funds. We do hedge it a little bit with a little bonds, with a little exposure to bonds and cash, but our most aggressive 10 year plus portfolio has about 84 I don't know, 80, 85 I think, I think percent it's, stock exposure. I think it's 90. I think it's 90 percent. 90. Well, one of the funds is balanced. So I think that in and of itself has some stock exposure, but maybe it's 85 to 90 percent. Okay. Um, yeah. But so for, and, and that's like fairly common among uh, asset manager or investment institutions that are running age-based portfolios. And like our next age band would be 
someone who is six to 10 years from needing the money. So someone who is, what is that, eight to 12? Um, so, an, or, or slightly older if you're going to plan to use the funds at the edge of college, but roughly someone, you know, getting into those uh, middle school years. Um, you know, we, then we run a more balanced portfolio with like, you know, what, what is that, 65 to 70% stock. And then as they're within three to five years, then then we're we're getting to into a primarily bond more conservative portfolio and then it gets more conservative from there when 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 the uh, needs are more imminent and that's fairly common so i do feel like investment institutions and advise i'm sure uh, many advisors do it the same way but investment institutions themselves even if you go online and open up a 529 are pretty good about putting you into the appropriate investment bucket and and putting you on I, I should say, I guess I'll say cruise control, but not that you shouldn't pay attention to those investments. You should, um, but but institutions are pretty good about uh, putting you into the correct default, which I think is um, I think, is a really good thing. Yeah, but I think you know, and kind of you know, a plug a plug for us, uh, you know, to be shameless is you know, having, you know, having a strategy and working with an advisor versus, you know, versus one of those like target date or, or age-based um, portfolios is that, you know, if we're, if we're having, you know, annual conversations or, or, or even more frequently with clients, you know, we can make those changes as appropriate versus, you know, these other funds that are kind of doing their own thing. They don't, they don't know your situation. Um, you know, if, if maybe, yeah, like if you have kids and maybe, maybe one of them, yeah, is not going to go to college and you're going to transfer the money to the other one. Well, you know, they don't know that and they're still managing the money based on, you know, the, the original intention or the original time frame, And, and that may not be be appropriate anymore. Um, and for, you know, so we can kind of ch- make those changes, you know, based on your actual situation and, 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 or the markets, um, you know, whereas these other, these other funds are, you know, they're just going to kind of, you know, they have their glide path that they're kind of getting more conservative over, a, you know, a, a set period of time. And they may not necessarily be making the changes, um, you know, based on what the markets are doing. And, you know, so we can have those conversations. Well, yeah, it's, maybe it's maybe it's time to get more conservative, but mm, you know the markets were down last year, so you know it probably doesn't make sense to get more conservative because it's going to be tough to get those dollars back. And so you know maybe we can wait another year, or you know so we can you know be yeah. a little be a little more tactical um, versus versus just kind of the the set it and forget it. Yeah, on 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 that note, I do think it's nice for. We talked earlier in the show about how um, 529 beneficiaries can be changed really easily amongst siblings and even extended family members. So, so from from one perspective, if a parent has two, three, four kids, they could actually have one 529 and just be changing the beneficiary when they need to take funds out. So logistically that works. Where that doesn't work and we don't recommend it is where the, the kids are uh, far farther apart in age than like a year or two. So if you have twins, sure. <laughs> but if you um, if your kids have any distance between them in age, more more like in my mind, more than really a year or two, um, you probably want to separate their dollars and have separate 529s for them because they may not always, but there might be times when they have different investment strategies. Like if you have, so for our, our you know, 35 pretend couple there that had a five-year-old and a, and a two-year-old, if they have separate 529s for their kids, they can get more conservative with that five-year-old's dollars before they elect to get more conservative with the two-year-old's dollars. And that works from a timing perspective. So. Um, like I, I met um, a couple recently that were, and they were mentioning they have some dollars tucked away for their kids, but savings accounts, and they want to move them uh, to 529s. I'm sorry, it was their grandkids. And, um, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, you can have one, one 529 and, and just kind of use it when you need it and change beneficiaries, or you can have multiple. And we were, and I had no idea how many grandkids they had. And then at, toward the end of the conversation, <laughs> she mentioned yes, I think it was 12 grandkids. <laughs> so, but they were spread really far apart in age. The oldest was approaching college years already. And the youngest was like a baby or a toddler. So it would be appropriate for her to have, from an investment point of view, to have 
12 different 529s, though it would be, you know, logistically, that's that's a lot of accounts to, to open. But, we, you know, we handle all that. And that's, you know, it's really not a big deal. It's just a little bit of paperwork. Um, but yeah, from an investment strategy, it, it, you, it does make sense generally to have separate 529 accounts for um, your for different kids. Like I would say unless they're twins or triplets, then I think that makes the most sense. Um, all right, one other thing, um, let me go back to my outline. What, what haven't we covered that we really need to? Because we have like eight or nine minutes. Oh, um, yeah, one, one quick thing was that, um, like when to start saving, right? So I get um, very, like I said, this is for any parent, this is something that is uh, in your mind, like probably always, maybe it's tucked way in the back, but for any parent, this is like something that's on your mind. I constantly get these questions of when, I think parents feel this urgency to start saving for college. And like we just said, save early and often, right? So so yes, I think there is some urgency to it because compounding earnings, you know, earnings on earnings on earnings is very powerful. But I do think that there has to be a balance between dollars that you're sending to 529s and the rest of your financial life, right? So I understand that parents are, are sometimes kind of eager to start getting money into 529s, but I do want to talk through a little bit when is the appropriate time for them to start based on where they are in the rest of their financial life. So for example, if you are you know, let's say you have a couple of kids and you're really eager to start, you know, putting money into your 529. But if you don't yet have an emergency reserves account, uh, if you aren't yet putting a suitable amount into your retirement plan, if you don't yet have life insurance, then I think that those, those things need to test first before you would place any urgency or put any significant dollars into 529s. Do you uh, do you get that a lot, Kirk, where people are kind of like eager to start saving for college before they're really ready? Yeah, uh, yes, um, because they either they want to or they think they should, but yeah, they don't, um, they might not know about the, all these other areas of kind of, you know, personal finance that they should be tackling first. And, um, I think, you know, investing is always kind of a little more, ex more exciting than just like putting money away in savings. Uh, so I think that's why you know, yeah. people might like to do that, yeah. but, uh, yeah, you know, buying life insurance, that's not very fun, but, um, but it's, but it's very important, um, for, for young, you know, for younger folks in particular, uh, that, you know, have young children and, and a family to, uh, to support. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, we always kind of talk about, you know, playing defense, uh, you know, before you play offense. Um, and, you know, so defense is, you know, insurance and savings and what, yeah. And, and, you know, once you get those covered, then, then you can start playing offense, i.e., you know, investing. Um, and, and yeah, and there, and there's certainly a middle, a middle road, you know, kind of a, a balanced approach where you can do, do them all kind of at the same time, but, you want to make sure that you're covering covering the defensive bases um, first uh, before you start going all in on the on the offense. Yeah, so let's give people some just quick rules of, th of thumb there. So, if you, um, I think people are ready to start saving for college when they have life insurance. I guess we'll just use rules of thumb in the industry, right? Like you should have life insurance insurance of an amount that's at least seven times your gross salary. That's like an old rule of thumb in the insurance industry. Really, when you work with an insurance professional or a financial professional to determine how much life insurance you need, really there, you know, there can, you should do some calculations and really kind of evaluate your life and, and, um, and tailor that insurance coverage specifically to you, or at least get, you know, an idea of what's appropriate. But I would say that's just like an old rule of thumb in the industry. You should have seven times, uh, 
your your gross earnings in terms of life insurance. So if you don't have that in place, I would say get that in place and spend, you know, you're gonna need to spend some dollars on that. Fortunately for healthy people that are young, term insurance is pretty cheap. Um, so that really shouldn't deter, that really shouldn't get in the way, much in the way of your ability to save for college, but that should be done first, um, in my opinion. I would say people need to have an emergency reserves. The old rule of thumb in our industry for how much cash should you have is uh, three to six months of what your spending is. And if you don't know what your monthly spending is, then I would take your, uh, your, your net monthly income. So whatever is deposited into your bank uh, every, you know, for most people, it's every other week or twice a month. Um, so take your net income from your paycheck monthly and multiply that by, I would say six. Uh, the old rule of thumb was three to six months, but you know what, COVID-19 is a, is a great reminder of why people need to have cash in the bank. So I'm going on the high side of that number. Um, so so whatever your monthly net monthly income is, multiply that by six and you should have roughly that much emergency cash. And you're right, cash is, saving cash is boring. It's not earning anything. It's literally not earning anything these days but it's, it's a necessity. And you know what? It feels really good to have cash in the bank. It feels really good to just have that safety net there. Um, and I, and also you should be on a good track for retirement. So that, you know, that's again, should be tailored to your situation. But if you're not putting 10 to 15% of your gross earnings into a retirement account, then I don't know that you're ready to start saving for college. I guess that would be different if you have a pension, if you're a uh, teacher, for example, or a firefighter, or a police officer, uh, someone in, in these professions that still do have a good pension, um, that could be that could be a different answer. But if you are not uh, a, a pension employee, then um, you should be putting at least 10% of your gross income into retirements before I'm comfortable with you putting significant dollars into 529 or uh, tuck away for college. Having said that, I do understand balance. And sometimes people just, they have that satisfaction. They have that need. They, they, they want to be doing this for their kids. They're, they don't want to wait to check off the, all those boxes before they start saving for college. And we do understand the power of compounding interest. So if people want to get going before those boxes are checked, I would just do it with relatively small amounts of money, 50, 100 bucks a month, a couple hundred bucks a month, depending on what your cash flow is. Um, but the, the bulk of your um, resources should go toward in my opinion, making sure you have enough emergency cash, having life insurance and tucking money away for your own retirement. And once you've checked off those boxes, whatever your free cash is that you wanna go toward college, go for it. And and again, save, you know, save as much as you can because that can be a daunting goal. Yeah, and um, you know, and, having, yeah. and, and people, you know, people sometimes will ask, well, you know, is it worth it to do 50 or a hundred or whatever? And, you know, my answer is always anything is better than nothing. Um, so even, you yeah. know, as you said, even, you know, starting small is, is better than not starting at all because, you know, you'll, if you don't do it, you'll forget about it or you'll say, yeah, I'll, I'll throw some, you know, I'll throw in a lump sum later. And a lot of times it just doesn't happen because either you forget or something else comes up and, um, you know, just, you know, starting with some small monthly amount that it'll, it'll, it'll build up, you know, it'll build up to something over time. Yeah. Uh, if you just, if you just set it up. So we got yeah. about we got about a minute left. Um, I don't know if you want to give out all right. Give out, give out like the podcast and all that stuff one more time, maybe. Yeah. So let's wrap it up. So um, that was I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. Uh, this is my husband and business partner Kirk Reed, um, and McNamara on money. And we were touching today on education savings, a super important topic for any parents and grandparents out there. Um, and if you missed the show last week, it was a really great one where we went, we went over financial aid and the actual cost of college. Um, and that was a great show. We had some great guests from Vested Academics that uh, you can find our podcast. We turn all of our shows into a podcast so you can search your podcast app for McNamara on money. Last show's week was also live on Facebook. You can find McNamara Financial on Facebook. Uh, so I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You can find out more about me and Kirk at McNamaraFinancial.com. We also have a website specifically for the show, and that's McNamaraOnMoney.com. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. <laughs>